Hello, friends. This is the Neatarts Friends Church podcast. We are Jesus people, Kingdom of God people, welcoming, yearning, sharing. And we're glad you're connecting here with us. We'd love to connect in person as well. If you're inclined to support this podcast or for more information, just hop on over to neatartsfriends.org. That's neatartsfriends.org. Let's jump into today's sermon. As we jump back into our series on the book of Jonah, we aren't asking, did this story happen? We are recognizing that this story happens all the time. And so we're saying, God help us to see the way that this story happens all around us. When was the last time that you found yourself trying to weather someone else's storm, a storm of someone else's making? When was the last time that you got caught up in a problem of someone else's making? They didn't consult you before they did whatever they did. They left you in the dark. They simply did what they did. They dug themselves in deep and made bad decisions and involved themselves in unhealthy patterns. They self-destructed. They spiraled, created a mess. And by the time you found out about it, it was a full-blown storm. And suddenly their problems are on your doorstep affecting you and you find yourself caught in the middle of their crisis. It's a storm of someone else's making, but the waves are suddenly crashing over your boat. Suddenly the cumulative effect of their decisions is impacting your time, your finances, your home, your relationships, your workplace, your safety, your life, and you're somehow forced to bear the weight of someone else's trouble, their greed, their anger, their fear, their pain, Sometimes the cost of their bad decisions is merely an inconvenience, and other times the cost is high, even life itself. Now, there are a million versions of this. Yes, it happens on a personal level, and it happens within societies where suddenly we're caught up in the cumulative effect of the decisions that our culture has been making for decades. And even if we never made those decisions ourselves, now we are bearing the weight. We're bearing the tragedy, the consequences. And wouldn't it be nice if everyone had to weather their own storm? Wouldn't it be nice if we lived in a world without any ripple effects? Imagine a world where everyone had to weather their own storm. Imagine a world where Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit, and so they got to live in a world racked with disease and division, but that was their problem and not yours. Imagine if their decisions didn't affect you. Imagine a world where you could still live in the Garden of Eden. Imagine a world where you got to chart your own course and determine your own destiny. And wouldn't it be nice? Wouldn't it be nice if... Someone wanted to make poor decisions and destroy their life, it really didn't affect you at all. You could sleep in peace 
and didn't have to worry about it. Imagine a world where if someone wanted to drink and drive and smash their car into a tree, it wasn't your problem. If a billionaire wants to become obscenely greedy and gobble up little mom and pop shops because they think money and power is going to make them happy, imagine that it doesn't affect you at all. It's not your problem. You just say, well, I guess maybe one day they'll learn that money and power doesn't satisfy. Wouldn't it be nice if any time that someone wanted to just be a complete jerk, it didn't affect you at all. Your emotions stayed completely intact and your only reaction was, well, I guess that's too bad for them because mean people aren't happy people. Wouldn't it be nice if everyone had to ride out their own storms? Now, it isn't hard to find this desire in our world. Nobody wants to let toxic people weigh them down. Everyone is certain that someone else is to blame for the problems they experience. In fact, it feels good to blame someone else for the storm. Everywhere you look, you can find people who want to live in a world of individual freedoms, a world where anyone can do anything, where People are free to live however they want. A world where everyone's responsible for making their own bed and lying in it. A world where everyone gets to chart their own course, determine their own destiny. And yeah, on the one hand, this impulse comes from a good place. Individuals matter. Work matters. Personal responsibility matters. And so... It makes sense that many are longing for a world with no ripple effects, a world where everyone has to weather their own storms. No one likes to be inconvenienced by others, much less suffer the collateral damage of a storm that wasn't of their own making. But on the other hand, perhaps we fail to realize the full extent of what this kind of a world would actually be like. Guess what C.S. Lewis calls a world where everyone is an island unto themselves, where everyone gets to weather their own storm, where everyone is left completely unto themselves? He calls it hell. That's right, hell. You see, it's clear that God has created a world that's deeply interconnected. It's in the fiber of the universe. Nothing happens in a vacuum. Every atom, nucleus, proton, electron, every cell in your body is affected by what's happening around it. You throw a rock in a pond and you watch what happens. And it's, it's ripple effects. That's what happens human dysfunction, sin, destructive behaviors don't result from or affect just one person, but they affect relational networks, families, friend groups, businesses, churches, communities, systems. No human is an island unto themselves. They are all part of a larger whole. And this means that the choices that you make affect me, the choices I make affect you, 
we are all in the same boat. My well-being is connected to your well-being. Nothing happens in a vacuum. So on Sunday, in our gathering, we had this discussion question. And so I'd invite you to ponder this. If you're listening with someone, discuss it with them. Name some of the ways that you've seen people respond when they find themselves weathering a storm of someone else's making. How do they respond? So go ahead and pause and ponder that. Discuss that for a moment. This brings us to Jonah and the sailors. Jonah chapter 1, and we're looking at basically verse 1 through verse 16 today. That's how far we've come in the story. So, let's remember the story from the beginning. There the sailors were. We're looking from their perspective. There they are. They've got their ship docked up in Joppa, and... Who knew how many weeks it would be before they secured enough cargo or enough passengers for their next voyage, and then along comes Jonah. He's ready to foot the entire bill for the voyage to head to the edge of the known world, to head to Tarshish. It would be at least a three-year journey there and back, and he claims to be running from his God and wants to leave immediately. Now, The sailors understood that everyone had different gods. They believed there were many gods. There were gods of the land, gods of the sea, gods of various regions. It was no major concern that this guy Jonah was running from his god because probably all they needed to do was get out on the open sea and they'd be just fine. And so the voyage took off and a storm blew up. Unlike any they had ever seen, every sailor knew and understood that storms like these were a result of the wrath of the gods. But the trouble was that it wasn't easy to figure out what had upset which god. Like, whose god is angry and why? The gods were known for being capricious and inconsistent, doling out arbitrary punishments, almost like a whimsical child that builds sandcastles and then smashes them in anger for no real reason other than the pleasure of it. There didn't have to be any justice in a storm. The gods were fickle. And so chances were good that whoever had upset the gods was genuinely innocent. But whose god was it? Whose god was upset and why? And so all the sailors were crying out to their own god. But the storm was only becoming more furious. The ship seemed like it was going to break apart. There wasn't a one-size-fits-all way of appeasing every god. The gods were far too fickle, but the sailors were at their wits' end, and so they began tossing cargo out into the sea, trying to make a sacrifice that might appease the wrath of 
whichever god was angry. Meanwhile, the ship captain was down in the belly of the ship, shaking Jonah awake. He had fallen asleep in a deep sleep, begging him to pray to his god. This Jonah guy was in a complete funk, a downward spiral. He was no help at all. He refused to pray. The sailors turned to their pagan magic of casting lots, trying to figure out whose god is responsible for this, and the lot fell to Jonah. So they start barraging him with questions, and Jonah revealed that the god that he was running from was the god who created the land and the sea. Well, now, the sailors were terrified and angry all at once. If this is the God who created everything, then there's no outrunning this God. Jonah, what have you done? Like, why did this Jonah guy drag them into his mess? The sailors asked him, what should we do? And Jonah responded, pick me up and throw me into the sea and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Now, why in the world couldn't Jonah just hop overboard? Why did he insist on the sailors participating in his demise? Like, pick me up and throw me into the sea? Why can't you just jump if you're going to do it, man? Like, why did he insist on being treated like a pagan sacrifice to one of their fickle gods? Jonah gave the sailors this basically this ultimatum, which was kill or be killed. That was the last thing the sailors wanted to do. They're getting paid to safely deliver Jonah to Tarshish. But more importantly, this ran against everything in them, every ethic, every moral, everything human. To them, this would mean the shedding of innocent blood. How could they toss a fellow human being out into these raging waves, crashing over them? This Jonah guy would die for sure, and they would be made complicit in his death. They valued human life much more than that. And so they dug in with their oars, and they rowed their hearts out. They did their very best to row back to land. They'd gotten sucked into this death-filled situation, but they're bound and determined to save Jonah's life against all odds. But the sea only grew wilder and wilder. They could see that they weren't going to make it. It felt like a lose-lose scenario, a double bind. On the one side were their morals. How can we kill an innocent man? But on the other side was their own mortality. Their own lives were at stake. And so the sailors cried out in prayer to Jonah's God. And they are actually the very first people in the entire book of Jonah to talk to God, to pray to Yahweh. They said, please, Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord have done as you pleased. And with that, they made an excruciating decision. They picked Jonah up and they threw him into the raging sea, into the storm. And the sea grew calm. And the sailors' fear 
that had turned into great fear became great fear of the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice. They made promises, vows to the Lord. Have you ever found yourself caught in the middle of someone else's storm? Found yourself suffering the collateral damage of someone else's destructive choices and the waves are crashing over your boat and threatening to break your ship to pieces and you're trying to bail the boat out while they sleep and begging them to do something but they aren't doing anything and you're the one taking major losses you're forced to throw out your cargo the things that used to be your top priority just get cast aside and you're at your wits end you're crying out to your God you're telling the person who created this all look I honestly don't know what to do what are we supposed to do now and why do they respond the way that they respond like like Jonah why do they claim that it's all their fault it's all my fault why do they say that if they aren't willing to do what they should do like in Jonah's case why does he say it's all my fault if he's not willing to turn the boat around and sail back to Joppa and begin the long journey headed towards Nineveh? He's not ready to do that. So why does he insist that it, it's all his fault? And why do they insist on involving us in their situation? Like, why does Jonah involve the sailors, pick me up, throw me in? Why? Why involve them? Well, we all have stories that we tell ourselves about the way the world works and what's going on and where the plot line's headed, what we're here for, what God's like, what God is doing, what our options are, what we should do next. And the reason that we involve others is so that they can support the story that we are telling ourselves. Now, in Jonah's case, at the root of it all, he was experiencing a crisis of faith. It's like he had two different pictures of God and two different pictures of the world, and those pictures were colliding. You see, Jonah believed in a God who treated people according to what they deserve. A God who punishes all sinful acts with bloodshed and returns evil for evil. And so people like the Ninevites who had killed moms and dads and children and grandchildren and grandmas and grandpas and uncles and aunts. This is the capital of Assyria, the, the most cruel uh, empire, one of the most powerful empires in their time. They slaughter people, throw kids off cliffs, impale people on stakes, lead them away into slavery. People like that, in Jonah's mind, only deserve one thing. And that's death. All Ninevites need to die. There should be no chance for deliverance. Jonah believed in a world with only two choices, kill or be killed. And all throughout the story, you find him with these two options. He either wants to die or he wants to see Nineveh die. Those are the only two options he will consider. And so this is the story that Jonah's been telling himself about God and about the world. And this is the story that others were already supporting 
like people like the prophet Nahum, if you read the book of Nahum. This is the story that many of the people of Israel at the time had told themselves. But then God comes along and calls Jonah to offer a future and a hope to Nineveh, to these same people who had completely obliterated Israel's future and Israel's hope. God told Jonah that Nineveh is important to him. The same God who had flooded the entire world because of their violence in the days of Noah, now that God is refusing to bring a storm down upon Nineveh and is instead bringing a storm down upon Jonah. And that feels like a crisis. It feels like a crisis of faith. Jonah was encountering a different picture of God and a different picture of the world. And it was a picture that he refused to consider. It made him feel like there really was no longer any room for him in this world. And so he did what we all do. He involved others in the story he was telling himself about God and about the world. He would rather leave this world believing the story that he was telling himself. And so he forced the sailors to become supporting characters in that story. Characters who would treat God like a God of wrath, appeased by bloodshed and death, a God who returns evil for evil. So if Jonah is a prophet who runs away and sins, then he deserves judgment and bloodshed and death, just like those Ninevites. So he says, it's all my fault. And if there's no more room for him in this world, then Jonah's final move in this world is to force God to at least treat him the way he wished God would treat the Ninevites. He'll make God kill him. He's forcing God to do unto others as they have done unto you. Like, okay, God, if I abandon you at sea, then you, I'm going to make you abandon me at sea. So he says to these sailors, throw me as a human sacrifice into the sea to appease this God of wrath. And in so doing, Jonah could almost become the martyr. He could almost become the hero of the story. The guy who went down protecting Israel's borders. The guy who stood with prophet Nahum against Nineveh. The guy who would rather die than give Nineveh a future. So, a question to ponder. Uh, a question that we discussed this past Sunday. Here it is. If you haven't opened your Bible... If you aren't driving, I invite you to do this. Open your Bible to the book of Jonah and imagine that the entire book ends at Jonah 1, verse 16, which says, they picked him up, they threw him in, and the sea grew calm. If this was where the story ended, what would this story tell you about God what would this story tell you about the way the world works? What if this was the end of the story of Jonah? So, ponder that question for a moment. Discuss it.
All right. Back to your life. When someone involves you as a supporting character in the story they're telling themselves, they can wrap you up in the blame. They can claim that you agree with them about the way the world works and the way God is and the only options they have and what they should do. But worst of all, they can leave you with lose-lose decisions. They can leave you with double binds where it's like, well, you can stop helping the addict and lose the relationship, or you can try to keep the relationship and watch the addict slowly kill themselves. Or you can evict someone or have your entire home destroyed. Or you can end the toxic relationship or continue to suffer abuse. Or you can sign the divorce papers or suffer massive lawyer fees and potentially lose custody. Or you can choose a side in a church split these friends or those friends. You can fire someone or you can allow the entire organization to suffer. And not everyone who's caught in a storm of someone else's making has the clarity to see the distortions about God and the world in the story that that person's telling themselves. Not everyone caught in a storm of someone else's making has the clarity to reject the either-or options, like kill or be killed. Not everyone caught in a storm of someone else's making has the clarity to suggest a different alternative. Like, for instance, to Jonah, Jonah, maybe you need to return to Joppa and face your God head-on, face Nineveh head-on. You paid us for a journey, and we refused to throw you into the sea, so let's change the destination. We will join you in your journey to Nineveh. Not everyone has that kind of clarity. And some lose-lose decisions are so complex, so convoluted. And so, in your value for human life, sometimes you are left making excruciating decisions. And you try your heart out to avoid the either-or, kill-or-be-killed. You row the boat as hard as you can, but to no avail. Sometimes, sometimes you end up participating in decisions and events that run against every fiber of your being. And you become the one who throws someone else into the sea. You sign the divorce papers. You stop helping the addict. You evict someone. You move out. You end the toxic relationship. You choose a side in the church split. You fire someone or you leave the job. You feel forced into some kind of a lose-lose scenario where you're trying to choose the lesser of the evils. And either way, it just feels like horribleness. And so you make a choice. And on the one hand, you're left with a calm storm afterwards at some level. It's like, yeah, I've got a a calm home now or a calm workplace or a calm family or church or camp or school or community. But on the other hand, the amount of loss that you suffer is devastating. All of your cargo is gone There's no more point in trying to continue the journey. 
You're left with an empty boat, an empty family, home, workplace, church, camp, school, community. You see faces that are no longer with you. You're left with haunting images of your participation in someone else's drowning. You know that you're complicit somehow in someone else's suffering. And sometimes this is all we know of the story. The sailors in the book of Jonah likely never learned the last three chapters of the story. They only knew that they threw an innocent man into the sea to drown. And sometimes that's you. You carry the memories, the regrets of what happened, how it all went down, how ugly it all was, how complicit you were made in someone else's self-destruction, and how empty the boat feels now. And it all feels so final. And where is God underneath it all? The story doesn't end where the sailors thought it ended, with Jonah being tossed out to the sea. The story goes on and tells us the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days, three nights. Now everyone acts like the unbelievable part of the story of Jonah is that someone could survive in a whale, some kind of a huge fish. But could it be that the part of the story that you actually struggle to believe the most doesn't have to do with Jonah's storm, but it has to do with believing that this story actually happens all the time. It has to do with the storms that you've had to weather. Could it be that the hardest part to believe is that on the other side of the storms that you've had to weather, on the other side of the cargo you've lost and the voyages you've had to cancel, the relationships you've lost, the opportunities lost, the broken dreams, the loved ones lost, on the other side of your desperate attempts to try to keep everything from imploding and heartbreaking self-destruction of others, on the other side of your regrets or broken families, shriveled organizations, ruined lives, on the other side of people who you think are dead and gone even, underneath their crisis of faith, underneath the waves of separation and death and drowning, down at the bottom of the ocean, in the depths of Sheol, there is a God who excels at finding a different way home. A God who doesn't just leave self-destructive people to drown in their own storms. A God who returns good for evil. A God who brings people up from the depths of Sheol, who rescues people from Hades, a God who is cooking up a way that you would have never thought possible for the Jonah in your life, whoever they are, so that they can come face to face with the story that they've been telling themselves, face to face with reality, face to face with the loving God who rescues Jonah from the belly of Sheol, who rescued those who drowned in the flood of Noah from the prison of Hades? Who are the Jonas that you've 
And what if their story wasn't over when their body hit the water and sank out of view? What if ruined isn't the end, and self-destructed isn't the end, and drowned isn't the end? What if God is still working even under those waters of death? You see, under the waters of death is where Jonah finally prayed. God was trying to have a conversation the whole time, but it's under the waters of death that Jonah finally says, <laughs> Jonah 2 verse 2, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol, the bottom of the grave. So I close today with this. Theologian Chris Green says, The good news of the book of Jonah is that the word of judgment is nothing but the word of mercy taking the long way home. Love you, friends. Thank you for joining us for a Sunday sermon from Neatart's Friends Church. We hope you'll join us soon for one of our in-person worship gatherings. For more information, hop on over to neatartsfriends.org. God's peace be with you, friends.